Uh, on the development side, you'll typically see higher prep with lower upside uh, because the developer wants to keep more of the upside on the back end, but is prepared to pay the investor more upfront cash flow to make them excited about their investment. Welcome to the Wealthy Mind podcast hosted by Alex Kalarinko and a good friend of mine, business partner Ashish Sanan. We are two immigrants who've come from humble beginnings to work in the Silicon Valley high-tech industry for many years, only to realize that we were trading our time for money on W-2 jobs in corporate America. Being laid off, downsized several times, watching our stock market portfolio lose significant value during each recession, paying high taxes was very frustrating. But we always knew there was a way out. Through a passionate belief in growth wealth mindset, we took massive action, started investing in commercial real estate and left our high-tech careers to build passive income with syndication investments. And now we help others like you to learn, grow and build life on your own terms. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to bring an amazing guest today for our listeners, uh, Aaron Zucker, who is the CEO and president of Zucker Investment Group. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Uh, this this is a hot topic these days. Uh, we, we have a lot of listeners, uh, you know, who are in the healthcare space, uh, and, and also looking for uh, to invest into this space. So this is going to answer some of the uh, questions, such as you know, why investing into healthcare real estate and uh, what to look for. Uh, let's get started. Great. And and uh, before we actually touch on these uh, you know questions, how about you know sharing some of your you know an entrepreneurial journey, uh, you know as, as as to you know building this company. Sure. So I'm a three-time felon of being a guilty entrepreneur. I started at 21 by owning a bar in a college town uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, University of Alabama, Roll Tide. For anybody out there that may have graduated from there, uh, I then. That gave me exposure into the commercial real estate industry because I caught wind of how well our landlord was doing. He owned 400 properties, and I figured it was a lot easier to be the guy collecting the rent than it was to be the person, excuse me, who was working incredibly hard and taking a lot of risk to pay the rent. So one thing led to another. I got a job as a leasing agent with a large uh, commercial real estate owner based out of New York in their Atlanta office, and spent my Spent some time there and then moved to Charlotte to work for a Cincinnati-based, uh, now publicly traded REIT, and then all, all within leasing. And then uh, most recently, before going out on my own, had an opportunity to run the leasing platform for a successful family office out of South Florida called Peb Enterprises, who own assets in 12 states. Uh, at the end of December, to, I guess at the end of 2018, I sort of was at an inflection point in my career where I felt like I knew enough to be dangerous, but also wasn't going to give me too complacent. So I packed up with my then wife at the time and six month old daughter and moved into my parents' basement four years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where uh, I'm based now and our company's based. I'm p- proud to report that we are out of the basement. Uh, I now live outside of my parents' basement. We're buying deals. Uh, since then, we've uh, acquired commercial real estate properties in 14 states across the eastern half of the U.S. Uh, and then simultaneously with me starting Zucker Investment Group, or what we call ZIG, uh, I'm also an American Family Care, Urgent Care franchisee in the Raleigh, North Carolina market with my best friend and roommate from college, who's my operating partner. So 
We've been after it for with both companies for four years. We've acquired 28 assets at Zucker Investment Group, and we have opened two going on, actually four AFC urgent cares in the Raleigh market. So between commercial real estate and the urgent care business, that's that's really where I spend uh, pretty much all my time. Wonderful, wonderful. Love that. Yeah, I, I think uh, every entrepreneur has has its own journey and uh, i think you've taken some risk and uh, you've been a very hands-on when it comes to you know on the leasing side as well so you understand you understand the market pretty well you know on the on the uh, on the tenant side as well as on the landlord side i, I if i don't I'm, I'm hopefully doing a decent job of pretending that i do <laughs> <laughs> no this is good and uh, j- just to give a little bit more context uh, to the to our listeners here uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron and I, we are part of also YPO, and that's how we, you know, have a common uh, connection. And uh, you know, I'm excited. You know, let's let's dive into these questions, and uh, I hope uh, listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this. Okay, that's the first question. I think the foremost is the uh, um, what is the difference between investing into the multifamily real estate versus healthcare real estate, and uh, what are the typical cap rates that the healthcare real estate assets are traded for? Sure. So advantages and disadvantages exist between the two different asset types. You know, as as I alluded to in my background, I don't have an extensive uh, history in multifamily, but what I can share is that the leases are far more variable, therefore NOI, net operating income, and thus the cash flow that an investor would receive in multifamily is far more inclined to go up, down, and, and move all around. Whereas in healthcare real estate, you're oftentimes investing in, assuming that both deals are core, if you will, that uh, you're you're making the assumption that the cash flow is very predictable. So therefore, if your interest rate's fixed and your tenant has a high likelihood of staying, especially if they're an investment grade credit tenant, uh, you know what you're getting into from a cash flow perspective. From a depreciation uh, perspective, taxes, I can't fa- I can't imagine there's a better asset type to be investing in than healthcare. Uh, the build out and the equipment and what is eligible for bonus depreciation, especially as we sit here in 2023 with it being at 80%, uh, mm-hmm. is very exciting. And from an appreciation standpoint, healthcare leases historically and generally do a, a, a better job than most of the other asset classes at having rental increases uh, that are consistent and contractual. And so you have a higher NOI should you go to sell the asset at a later time. So we, we like to classify the three reasons that anybody would invest in commercial real estate, which we use the acronym CAT, C for cash flow, A for appreciation, and T for tax benefits. And just like any other asset type, you know, healthcare certainly presents those opportunities. And I think the the cash flow and the tax one can really be hit hard for an investor uh, without having a tremendous amount of sophistication, which is which is exciting. Yeah, I love the tax part, especially, you know, of course, the appreciation is there when you when the, the day you buy it, you know, the people always ask, what's the right time to buy? I always say that, you know, it's now, you know, because you're not going to sell it tomorrow, you know, you're going to just hold on to the asset and, and sell it later. So you, you it, it will appreciate based on, you know, if you do a good job in uh, renting to the right tenants, uh, you know, manage your NOI, and uh, you're going to sell for a gain, uh, for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, the only, the only, the only devil's advocate part of that is, well, yeah, the lease term's diminishing, but you can offset the value that's being lost in the lease term diminishing with the appreciation due to annual increases. And if you underwrite and look at deals 
in ways that I'm sure your shop does a wonderful job of, Ashish, then it, it, you can offset that risk and still enjoy the other two benefits pretty thoroughly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And and uh, what different types of healthcare real, es- real estate uh, do you see in the can, like different categories of uh, you know assets out there? In sure. This- Sure. It, it's been an interesting time the last three to seven years in healthcare real estate because it's shifted over to where I spend the balance of my time, which is in real, retail real estate. And the two are, are merging together. I mean, there's no hotter buzzword when I go to retail conferences than the term medtail. And that involves healthcare tenants taking historically retail sites. And the reason, I, and I don't blame the healthcare users for doing it. In fact, I'm raising my hand virtually with you as as I say this, we're doing that in our urgent care space. You know, we're competing with Chipotle and Chase Bank for retail sites because the build-out costs are about the same, Mm -hmm. but you get the benefits of access, ingress, egress, visibility, uh, exposure to consumer patterns. And so uh, it's nice to see those two sort of uh, line up together, if you will. Got it. Got it. And what's the typical hold period for these deals you know do you do you hold it for like short time period like three to five years or longer it depends on our strategy we have some healthcare assets that we have no intent to sell anytime soon because we're we're enjoying the cash flow and the tax benefits associated with it if we're doing build the suits specifically for my our urgent care operations we are doing sale leasebacks in those situations just to recycle the capital, take the equity off the table that's that's been generated a nice return and go find the next site to develop. So we do a little bit of both. And uh, I think the strategy going into each deal, regardless of asset type, changes depending on you know what your basis is, you know, your ability to improve rents, or have you capped out the market, or are you or do you have better opportunity costs to, to put that capital somewhere else? And it obviously varies by project. Okay. Yeah, so there is no set uh, hold period that you define. It just varies from from one asset to the next. I, I think I think it's important. I, I think what I would say to that is, is you're you're right. There isn't. We don't have a defined period. We don't operate a fund. We do a syndication model, so we look at each deal differently. But I think what is is important is that each deal, maybe not each company, but each deal should certainly have a strategy. If you're buying yeah. below market rent, uh, high infrastructure built out healthcare facility with a long-term left on the lease, you are selling yourself short if you sell that asset too quickly. And if you're doing build-a-suits for an intensive capital user like a hospital, who yeah. they leave, which they're typically unlikely to do, and we'll touch more on later, I'm sure, but if they do leave, your replacement cost and being able to figure that out is very challenging. So you might be better served flipping that over to you know a REIT, a real estate investment trust that uh, is, has a has an appetite for the lower returns and the risk, you know, because their cost of capital is lower. It just depends on the situation. Yeah. So talking about the build to suit, is that a is that a popular investment strategy uh, when it comes to build to suit in the healthcare real estate? Like, and how does it work? You know, why why investors and why uh, syndicators or companies like like yours uh, like it? Yeah, there's there's several reasons to like build to suit. Right? Is you anytime you're buying real estate that doesn't have a tenant in place and you have a tenant in place before executing on it. The likelihood that you're creating value there is very high, assuming that your underwriting is decent. And that's exciting. 
it's exciting as a sponsor to put together because that's how we truly make money. It's not through fees necessarily, at least at our company. Um, and from an investor standpoint, you're getting an opportunity for as a limited partner to be able to participate in deals that uh, you wouldn't otherwise be pulling off yourself that you most likely don't have the ability to do or the bandwidth to do. Even if you're in real estate, it could be unlikely to pull off just because development is 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 real. It's a full-time gig for a reason. And so yeah. as a potential LP, if you have an opportunity to invest in a build to suit ground up deal and the sponsor is legitimate and their pro forma is legitimate, more times than not, it's going to be a good good use of your capital to, to put out there. Yeah. Plus, you know, there are, I mean, most of the unknowns are all uncovered uh, before you actually, you know, put shovel in the ground, right? You know, you have a you have a lease already, you have a tenant already pre-screened and all lease signed up. Yeah, I agree. And are these leases like tied to the uh, cost of the project? And what if the scope changes uh, and the project cost goes out? Like, what happens in those scenarios? Yeah, you you alluded to it, right? You were just speaking to everything's pretty much teed up to to offset the risk, except for two major factors. One is uh, macroeconomics move to where your exit out of the project may not be as lucrative or could turn you upside down. We're seeing that right now, mm-hmm. which is creating which we'll hear a little bit here and there. So developers who were too aggressive in their performance and were only building to, let's say, 100 basis point spreads. I've seen cap rates go up 100 basis points, and they're essentially developing a project for free. That that's not fun. Uh, and then the second component could be, uh, you know, if your exit plan isn't as good, um, or even if your exit plan stays in place but your costs go up dramatically, that can really materially affect because it just eats right into the margin that a developer would make on a build to suit project. Interestingly enough, that has also been happening as of late. So um, the developer who went into each project saying, hey, we can develop this for less than 100 basis points in spread, uh, meaning that if you build it to an 8% return, you could sell it at a seven and be fine. Those assumptions and their aggressiveness uh, is coming back to haunt them right now. So it's important that an investor get aligned with an operator that understands that there's risk out there and that there's enough spread built in to where Obviously, to where they're meeting the market and the tenant is doesn't feel like they're being taken advantage of, because uh, tenants are sophisticated, especially some healthcare users. But also to where that risk is offset in the event that things do change. So it's a very interesting time to be having this conversation. And there's yeah. going to be developers that go out of business in the, as a result of this environment. There's going to be developers who really grow and come out on the other side of it ahead because they did things the right way during these times, and therefore are able to scoop up the same amount of opportunities plus what the extinct guys did uh coming out of the out of this funky period that we're in. Yeah, but but can you can you build can you mitigate those risks by uh you know put it into your contracts that if the cost goes up for whatever reason, you know, uh, like X percentage and then it it will be tied to the 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 lease terms. So that you're yeah, there's, there's, yeah, absolutely. Listen, we we tell every tenant that we work with, it's math, guys. It's math. Yeah. If the cost of the building go up dramatically, we need to be able to offset that risk. And how are we yeah. going to do? That? If you're comfortable with us putting a cap on the construction and you taking on and putting in some equity in the building, which by the way you can depreciate, Mister Tenant, 
Okay, great. That's all good. The, the developer's capped at a certain expense, therefore the rent should be capped at a certain yeah. cost to them. Yeah. Or you could inverse it and the tenant says, no, we want you to completely turnkey, build a suit this. We're not real estate developers. It's your building. You know, you do it you as you see fit with it. Then there has to be the conversation of, okay, well, then we need to adjust the rent accordingly. Otherwise, we're just doing business just to do business and we're not able to make a profit either, which, which is tough, especially when a developer may have millions of dollars in loan guarantees or, or preferred returns to pay to investors. I mean, it's got to make sense for everybody involved. And those are the ways that they can be mitigated. What's tough is when you already have a fully signed document in place and things change after the fact. And that's when you really have to be able to, A, bank on your underwriting and sort of be able to take one on the chin here and there, and or B, have a phenomenal working relationship with your tenant and or your contractors. It's just got to happen. So the yeah, best developers aren't necessarily great at one thing in particular. They're able to manage all of those things very well, and and people still like them at the end of it, which is which is not easy to do. Yeah, you you I think you you just nailed it. You know, at one side you need the tenant relationship relationships where where there's a good understanding. On the other side, uh, you you definitely need a very deeper uh, GC relationship, uh, a tight contracts, or uh, you know, so that you have more visibility as to you know these on the supply chain side the rising costs uh, material costs labor uh, whatever all, all these things i think people are so so much uh, you know hearing these days yeah 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 so talking about the uh, build to suit uh, I, I think let's talk about the uh, value add opportunities in this space do you also see that a lot do you do that you know you see it uh, here and there, we do do it. We've executed on several blend and extend deals. We were meaning where we'll execute an extension with the existing tenant in place while under contract to create value on the property. We've done that. Uh, in fact, we just cycled out of a deal where we were able to execute on a plan like that with an outpatient general surgery center here in North Carolina. So it does happen. It does exist. That's where you have to be able to understand leasing, have great both brokerage and ownership relationships, be able to take on um, time and potential financial risks associated with finding those opportunities. And we're fortunate where we've been able to find some. Yeah, but yeah, my, I think the question is, let me be a little bit more specific here. Like, what do you do in a, you know, when you reposition these assets, you know, value add in a multifamily, multifamily value add space, you basically you can do a common area, uh, you know, upgrades, or you can do the you know toilets and kitchens in in the healthcare real estate, real real asset. I mean, real estate. What do you do actually? You know, what are those renovations? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It can come down to assuming some risks on the front end, like we discussed before, or and or I should say, um, matchmaking or seeing where meaning that there might be an acquisition opportunity for a larger user and there might be cap rate compression associated from a credit profile or the traditional route, which you sort of alluded to with the multifamily example is approach existing, the existing tenant or prospective tenants on a new site that you're as an owner, you're prepared to invest or help or co-invest with them on the infrastructure. Because one thing we know about healthcare is it's expensive to build out. And as a, as a follow-up to that, we also know that their equipment and some of the improvements in those spaces depreciate very quickly. Uh, and yeah. so therefore, not only is that an advantageous from a tax perspective for the real estate investor, but it's also an opportunity 
to create a win-win situation with an existing or a prospective new tenant to then take a traditional acquisition and squeeze some additional value out of it. Got it. Got it. And, uh, you know, talking about the yield to cost earlier, I think uh, when you do a project, uh, you, you know, what's the, uh, in a build to suit, what's the typical yield to cost uh, for, for the project? And uh, how does it protect the sponsors and investors who are part of the project? Sure. So yield to cost for us is something that we're sensitive to because we want to be excited to hold the property long-term yeah. in the event that macroeconomic factors shift which is a very real thing, as we talked about before, is happening right now. Mm-hmm. But typically what we're doing is, is we're underwriting spreads, right? So we want to see in an ideal world about a 200 basis point spread from our yield on costs to where we could exit on a cap rate. Meaning if we were going to develop an urgent care or a dental office for a sheesh, and knowing that based on com- comparables out there that a sheesh's credit typically, typically will trade at a six cap We're going to want to build that project all in with soft costs, hard costs, purchase price, fees, architectural fees, development fees, permitting fees, et cetera, to about an 8% return. Mm -hmm. So if it's a six to a four or a 10 to an eight, while it's a little bit better to actually do the six to the four because of how um, cap rate compressions work, in general, Mm -hmm. we're still comfortable either way with about a 200 basis point spread. And and that's typically the bogey that most developers are solving for. Yeah, no, I I like that. Uh, that's what we see as well. About two hundred basis points, you know, per spread out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that's pretty pretty good. And uh, from the investor standpoint, you know, what kind of investor returns uh, do you see in this asset category? Sure. That, that's the beauty of our business is that deals can get structured in any way, shape, or form. Our company has a pref promote model, meaning that investors are entitled to a preferred return on their equity prior to the sponsor, which is Zig, our company, earning uh, promote or as a basic term would be sweat equity. So our our preferred returns are any, ranging anywhere from six to eight percent, and then we split the promote with pro-rata with the limited partners at a 50-50 range. That's typical on acquisitions. Uh, on the development side, you'll typically see higher prep with lower upside uh, because the developer wants to keep more of the upside on the back end, but is prepared to pay the investor more upfront cash flow to make them excited about their investment. Got it. Okay, cool. And uh, I think we have, we have just maybe a last a couple of questions here. Uh, why healthcare asset class is considered the least riskier asset class type out there amongst uh, so many different asset classes out there in real estate? So that comes up oftentimes in conversation and there's a stigma or a narrative out there that healthcare tenants never move. The dentist never moves. The chiropractor never moves. The hospital never moves. The MRI facility never moves. Yeah. And to be honest, that reputation exists for a good reason. Now, the term never, I don't like because that does happen. And people think that every healthcare tenant is completely bulletproof. That's not true, but a lot of them are. Uh, So that is the reason why that reputation exists is that because healthcare tenants are the most unlikely to not leave, not never. I don't like the word never, but. Um, that's, that's, that reputation is real. And it's a, it's a stereotype that is absolutely valid. I, you're hundred percent correct. Actually, you know, I, I look around uh, <laughs> the, the hospitals and some of the, uh, 
the urgent cares around and then uh, you know the ASCs they have been around from you know last 20 to 30 years yeah I mean the time the place where I live in Silicon Valley you know I, I see the same hospital from last 25 30 years so I, the likelihood that it's gonna move altogether is very slim and you're right it's not like impossible you know they, they can move I mean if they are expanding so fast so they're gonna maybe you know at the end of maybe 30 years or after two lease, lease ex- extensions or one lease extension they may move out yep yeah okay yep. that creates an opportunity for repositioning the same asset to somebody else then right exactly it that's exactly it there you go We're, yeah. this, the conversation cyclical you know yeah 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 no I I, I love that yeah so I've whole listener base just got insight to a full-blown YPO conference in like 30 minutes we, we don't even, we don't even have to go to YPO anymore right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you going to be attending the? Uh, I think that there was a Phoenix symposium, right? The real estate this year. Yeah, it, I think it just passed. Um, it just passed. I, you know, I'm a I'm a newer member, but yeah, I'm hopeful to get out to some of the good conferences here soon. Apparently, there are a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more to them than the 25 minute conversation that we've had thus far. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I attended the Chicago one last year. I I think the the next roundtable. Um, I I didn't track it actually where it is, but I I would love to attend that one too. Sure. Yeah, and then let's uh, catch up there in person, you know, when we attend the next one. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Greatly appreciate that. Uh, You have a wonderful rest of the week. And uh, once the podcast is released, I'll send you a copy. Ashish, thank you so much for having me. And congrats on everything that you're up to. If you ever need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Yep. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy Mind Podcast. We hope the content today Fill your mind and your heart with the desire to build the life you deserve. If you haven't done so already, please do us a favor and kindly like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future impactful episodes. If you like what you heard and want to see more Wealthy Mind content and be notified about upcoming passive investment opportunities, please visit our website at www.wealthymind.com investments.com and join our investor club. You can also follow us on social media channels as we are on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thank you for your time and happy investing.